Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features an expert discussion focused on the use of regorafenib and TAS-102 for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. This episode is part of a larger program consisting of a podcast series focused on later-line treatment options for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. During this podcast, Dr. Jolene Hubbard from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and Dr. John Marshall from Georgetown University Hospital in Washington, D.C., discuss optimal treatment sequencing and dosing and key adverse events that may influence treatment decisions with regorafenib and TAS-102 for patients with metastatic colorectal cancer. Please visit the show notes for this episode for a link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets and additional coming expert podcasts. Now let's get started and hear what Dr. Hubbard and Dr. Marshall have to say on this important topic. Hello, my name is Jolene Hubbard. I'm a GI oncologist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. John Marshall. Hey, Jolene, and thanks for including all of us in this together. My name is John Marshall. I'm a GI oncologist in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown University. We have a lot to share in terms of managing colon cancer and particularly later lines of therapy. So maybe Jolene, talk to me a little bit. I've, I've gotten away from this concept of lines of therapy in colon cancer. And yeah, there are traditional first line, second line, third line, but you know, we do a lot of treatment beyond progression with certain drugs and we re-challenge. And so I, instead of it being linear, it sort of feels like a chess game to me. Maybe how, what's your thought on all of that? Yeah, I completely agree, John. Um, you know, typically you know, we start off with a doublet or triplet, triplet uh, systemic chemotherapy regimen, such as Fulfox or Fulfiri or Fulfoxiri, and then we're adding a biologic uh, to those agents. Um, and then usually transitioning to a maintenance therapy with a fluoropyrimidine plus a biologic. And, you know, we kind of use this strategy off and on, and we're challenging with either Fulfox or full theory until patients have pretty much um, declared their their cancer is resistant to those treatments and then and then you know we come to drugs like uh, regorafenib and tas 102 um, and I think that's the the current paradigm, but um, I would challenge a little bit of the paradigm that we need to change. Um, and so, Jenna, I would ask you, are you, you know, are you recycling the cytotoxic chemotherapies, uh, you know, like full Fox and full Fury, um, you know, making sure they're completely exhausted and re-challenging prior to using drugs like regorafenib and TAS-102? No, I'm really not, honestly. I, 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 I sort of classify after first line therapy, there aren't that many choices depending on an individual patient's molecular profile. There aren't that many choices that will generate a response, a regression of cancer. And so after that initial response where, you know, we're seeing what 50, 60, 70% response rates, maintenance therapy, if we're lucky, can last a year or more. Um, you know, I don't necessarily need another response. Stable disease is perfectly fine. And when you do keep going back to the well with these more traditional cytotoxics, 
I feel like that sort of fatigue and side effects may be liver damage without clear benefits. So I tend to hold my re-challenges, which would be on the list of possible additional response uh, for later lines of therapy. And, and, you know, if you've got, you know, things, obviously an MSI or a RAS or a BRAF, um, HER2 now, you've got agents where you can get responses again. Uh, but in the absence of those, really beyond first line response rates are very low. So I would tend to use uh, the regorafenibs and the TASs in this window, saving my rechallenge for later. Yeah, you know, that's the strategy that I've been using recently as well, um, particularly based off of um, the the results of the reverse study, which are uh, now uh, trying to be re- confirmed in the reverse two study. But the concept of using something like uh, regorafenib um, and in a, in a true third line setting, um, the reverse study actually showed us we might get better benefit uh, using regorafenib in a true uh, third line as opposed to waiting um, until our cytotoxics are rechallenged and completely exhausted. Yeah. Um, have you been seeing you know benefits by using either regorafenib or TAS-102 earlier? Well, honestly, it's the only time I really feel like I do see the benefit or at least see the maximum benefit. You know, that that patient who is declining, PS2 on the way down, uh, you know, particularly Rego really doesn't work in that patient. There's no sense in trying it. So um, it is that patient who's still really quite functional, working, um, you know, uh, maybe wants the break from the infusion unit earlier in the course of treatment, where I think Rego uh, is the right time to play that drug. And now that we have the redose strategy of starting low, 80 milligrams, see them back in a week, 120 milligrams, see them back in a week, and keep escalating to 160 if they tolerate, that's just such an easier dosing schedule. And I have to say my clinical experience with that is much better. Patient experience is much better um, and the value of, say, you know, six months of stable disease uh, with a novel therapy really um, is, is quite useful in the overall chess game and the overall strategy. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really do think the error in our ways has been thinking of these drugs as, you know, salvage last line, when in fact I see them much more as bridges or pauses between the more traditional therapies. Yeah, I think you bring up a couple of good points there. I mean, one, when you are, you know, waiting until the very end of all lines of treatment before introducing um, drugs like regorafenib or TAS-102 in the patient's performance is declining, you're right. That's the time where patients are not going to benefit. But I think that we are so used to as a society with when we had only full Fox or full theory with our biologics for so long um, that people are waiting until the end uh, uh, end lines of therapy to use these. And I agree we could have much better success using them a little earlier on. Um, I think you also bring up another good point 
with the redose study um, and showing that, you know, there's much less uh, toxicity and abrupt onset of side effects when we are using this dose escalation strategy. Um, and I think we really need to get the word out there that this is really the way to go to use this drug safely without um, very severe and sudden side effects of starting out full dose. Yeah, and I think you and I are bringing up the point that, you know, back in the day when we were hungry for any new medicine in colorectal cancer, we would never leave a drug on the table. Um, and I do think a lot of our colleagues f fail to see value in these two medicines. And so we'll often um, even just not prescribe them for patients or, or have waited too long, as you were saying, uh, till it is too late to prescribe them. So I think it really falls on us to find the proper window to try these drugs because when they work um, you know as many as a quarter of the patients we try them in will have six months or more of stable disease and and now with you know the added data with TAS plus BEV we've got some first-line data there we've got some uh, more studies looking at uh, TAS BEV and other combinations um, I do think they're they're rising in their value. And so uh, what we what we labeled them as when they first came out, I think is is our fault. Um, we didn't use them right. We didn't understand how best to use them. And now that we are learning, I think their value uh, for our patients is clearly, clearly increased. I would completely agree. So, you know, we have these two options, and I love uh, your concept is using these as a bridge um, and giving them some time off the more traditional cytotoxic chemos that we use. Um, you know, when you're making a decision using regorafenib versus TAS-102, do you have key things that you have in mind when you're trying to choose between one or the other? I like the, the concept that our colon cancers have a lot of drivers, but they're not strong drivers. It's not like we have the Suez Canal and our drugs are one big freighter in the middle of the Suez Canal. It's more like it's the Mississippi River Delta and we've got one branch of that delta blocked and so all it needs to do is go around through another path. Well, Rego hits a bunch of pathways and it's possible that it may be a different pathway for, for our different patients. So I like the idea of switching up mechanism of action if toxicity, prior toxicity, prior tolerance allows me. So I, I like to use Rego early um, in these patients for that reason. TAS I do see is a chemotherapy, a fluoropyrimidine works differently. And so a different mechanism of action, I like using it with BEV when I can get away with it um, uh, for insurance reasons, um, that BEV beyond progression strategy. I also, I don't know what you're doing with this, but if I use, say, Cape Bev as my maintenance first line, um, and then let's say I go to maybe arenatecan or oxaliplatin second line, and I'm going to go to maintenance again, I sometimes will use these drugs as that maintenance. So not necessarily at progression, but use them as sort of maintenance 2.0 um, when I have that opportunity. Um, patient who relapses after a metastatectomy with small volume disease, small volume lung disease where I don't want to use a lot of uh, major cytotoxics. To me, this is a nice time to consider using these oral therapies, uh, as I say, as sort of maintenance 2.0. But I tended to use Rego first. 
Um, I used to use TAS, usually use TAS with Bev um, uh, later, um, but I also will change that around depending on the patient in front of me. Yeah, I love this concept of, of maintenance 2.0 because it does make a lot of sense if you use Kate Bev as your first maintenance and then they progress on that, you go to your second line. It kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to go back to, you know, 5FU or Cape with Bev when they progressed on it previously. So I love that concept of, of task Bev as a, as a second sort of maintenance strategy. It makes a lot of sense to me. I would also say, you know, there's certain populations uh, or certain patients where I think, you know, maybe more appropriate to use uh, Rego versus versus TAS. Um, for instance, if someone is, you know, having trouble with, um, you know, eating a little an anorexic, um, you know, regorafenib with its side effects of decreasing appetite, probably not the, the, the best one to use first. Um, Versus someone who's had a lot of uh, cytopenia, so let's say their marrow is really sensitive to uh, to cytotoxic chemotherapy, um, uh, TAS-102 certainly will cause some cytopenias um, requiring dose reduction. So that may be a patient's more appropriate for bregorefinib up front yeah. Yeah. as opposed to TAS-102. No, I totally agree with that assessment. You know, a little hand foot here, a little, you know, anorexia there, and you, you shift one one way or the other. I, I was curious, um, are you all doing any sort of novel dosing with TAS? Because the traditional of two weeks in a row um, I never really made a lot of sense to me. And I, I, so when people come back with a cytopenia before cycle two, I've often gone to every other week instead of a dose modification. Uh, have you fiddled in, in that way with this drug? I have done that with, um, you know, some varying success uh, doing the every other week strategy. Mm -hmm. I think it just gives their marrow a little bit of more time to recover. Um, I, I think it gives the patients a little bit more time to recover because they definitely do suffer from uh, fatigue um, with this medication. Uh, so, yeah, and I haven't noticed it in terms of changing outcomes. Uh, I think the outcomes are fairly similar, whether you do two weeks on, two weeks off versus um, a one week on, one week off. And actually, the one week on, one week off, if you use it with Bev, it kind of fits that strategy a little Perfect. better, too. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Perfect fit. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks for, for chatting up our, our refractory colorectal cancer discussion and really focused on Rego and TAS and um uh, I so so respect your clinical instincts and and your knowledge of the data and um, so it's it's good to see that I'm aligned a lot with what you're doing. It makes reassures me certainly that um, my instincts and yours are, are aligned uh, and hope this helps others who are out there uh, dealing with the same issue. I completely agree, John. This has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, your insight and expertise. Thank you very much, Dr. Hubbard and Dr. Marshall, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program and to download the slide set associated with this discussion from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.